morning, if you have your Bibles, if you would now open with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we'll be considering together a message entitled, No Condemnation. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, if you'd follow along with me as I read from the Word of God. There is, therefore, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to to the Spirit. Will you pray with me? Father, we do pray this morning that you would teach us what it means to walk in the Spirit, Lord, the life of the Spirit. And we ask these things together in Jesus' name, amen. If you have been studying with us through this epistle to the Romans, you may recall that beginning in chapter 1 and 2, we saw man's need for justification. The Apostle Paul declared that mankind was destined lost for all eternity, that there was nothing that we could do to earn our salvation or entrance into heaven. We could not justify ourselves by our own works. Whether you're the most pagan, idol-worshiping Gentile, or you are the most self-righteous religious Jew, both groups were equally in need of a Savior. And then you come to Romans chapters 3 and 4, and we find God's provision for our justification. Man, incapable of saving himself, and yet God in his grace and mercy provided the way, Jesus Christ, in order that we could be justified just as if we never sinned. And how is that made possible? We are justified by faith, that is, in believing in the work of Christ on our behalf. It was the only means acceptable in the sight of God. Then you come to Romans chapters 5 through 8. And we considered the blessings of justification, which included the peace of God that surpasses all our understanding. And we are at peace with God, no longer at war with him. Then in chapter 6, freedom from the bondage of sin. And then chapter 7, freedom from the law. And yet all of these blessings, although they are ours and they are accessible to us, we discovered that there's still a battle. And that battle goes on between the flesh and the spirit. That is why at the end of Romans chapter 7, we observe the frustration, the anguish that the apostle Paul suffered when he realized that his inability to do the things he desired to do for God. He said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And he came to this place in his life where he was so overwhelmed that he cried out in desperation, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And it was then and there that Paul came to realize that Jesus Christ was able to deliver. He, couldn't, he could see the answer was not how can I deliver myself, but who can deliver me? And Jesus was able to deliver. And with this newfound revelation, we come to Romans chapter 8, where the emphasis is on the life of the Spirit. 30 times in Romans chapter 7, we see the word I. 
But when you come to Romans chapter 8, you see a reference to the Spirit at least 20 times. Romans chapter 8, one of the most loved passages perhaps in all of Scripture. Someone has likened it to the brightest jewel in the casket of gems that's found in the Word of God. It was Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse who said this, quote, Whenever a believer's Bible accidentally falls upon the floor, it should automatically open to Romans chapter 8. And for good reason. You enter this chapter with no condemnation. You close the chapter with no separation. And in between, all things are working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It's a great chapter indeed. Too many Christians today living in Romans chapter 7 when God wants you to move in to Romans chapter 8. We come to find that there is power of the Spirit of God to enable us to walk with God. The message is no longer what I must do, but what God has done. God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And that brings us to verse 1. And it says, there is therefore... The therefore connects us to everything that's already been said. Therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. To the person who is in Christ, that is a Christian, a believer, a Christ follower, a disciple, they are no longer under condemnation. The primary focus of this word condemnation means the penalty that the verdict demands. The penalty for being condemned under the law is death. The wages of sin is death. However, when you come to Christ, you're no longer under that penalty that the verdict demands because you are in Christ and he went and paid the penalty for you. So because you're in him and he paid the penalty, it's already been done. It's finished, just like Jesus said. There's no condemnation to you. Let me mention that there is a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation will always drive you away from the throne of grace. It's the voice that says, you failed again. Don't come to God looking for forgiveness. You asked for it last time for the same thing. And you're back here again? That's No, you're never going to be able to walk with God. In fact, you might want to just quit because you can't do it. That's condemnation. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is different. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's that voice that says, confess your sins to the Lord and he'll forgive you. It's the voice of the Spirit of God saying, I don't condemn you, I'll receive you. I won't disown you from my family. You're my child. Don't walk in pride and indifference, but come and I'll forgive you. I'll restore you. I'll receive you. You see, conviction always drives me to the throne of grace where condemnation drives me away from it. Do you remember the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery when she was brought before Jesus early one morning? And Jesus, the only one who had the very right to condemn her, said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. There may be some here this morning. You are living under the weight of condemnation. You are feeling the heaviness of your own failures. You you feel the burden of trying to please God in your own effort and falling short. And like the Apostle Paul, you say, oh, wretched person that I am. But the Lord wants you to know today that if you are in Christ, he doesn't condemn you. He loves you. God's not angry with you today. He doesn't hate you. He loves you. 
He doesn't want to destroy your life. He wants to deliver you. Listen, maybe your past is plaguing you. Maybe you had a failed marriage or you failed in this area or that thing. And it is just, you want to know that you're forgiven, but you just live with this condemnation. Listen to the words of the Lord today. If you are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So if he's not condemning you, who is? The devil. But Jesus said, I paid for your sin. There's no condemnation for you. But the important question to ask this morning is this. Are you in Christ? That's what it comes down to. Are you in Christ or are you out of Christ? If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Not only is there no condemnation, but listen to this. Also, if you're in Christ, you don't have to live according to the flesh any longer. It says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We have been given in Christ a new way to live, a new life. Instead of living a life after the flesh and pursuing the flesh, we can actually live and walk in the life of the spirit. Now, let me explain. When the Bible speaks about the flesh, living after the flesh, the flesh does not refer to the skin on your physical body. The flesh refers to the fallen human nature in all of its weakness. It's human vulnerability to sin found in the sinful human nature that we're born with. Apart from Christ, we live a life after the flesh. In the beginning, man was created. You remember, it says spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 tells us this. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit being the deepest part of who you are, the real you. The real you is not what you see on the outside, all the trimmings and the trap. That's not the real you. The real you is who you are within. The soul is synonymous with your emotions, your mind. The body is what we live in, this temporary dwelling place. The Bible actually calls it a tent. But in the very beginning, when God created man, he created him for fellowship. Adam experienced sweet and intimate fellowship with God. It says that he walked with God in the cool of the day. However, when man sinned, suddenly sin entered the picture, and that relationship with God was marred, and man's condition was marred. Suddenly, the trinity of man, the spirit, soul, and body is now inverted, and man is operating governed by the body, the soul, and the spirit. We're dead in sin, the Bible says, and the only way that we can have fellowship with God is we have to be made alive again. Dead in trespasses and sins, but as you're born again, the Bible says, of the Spirit, then once again you can have relationship and fellowship with God. But before that happens, when you live after the flesh, it's basically the consciousness of man is responsive to what controls him. And what controls man, if it's not the Spirit, are the appetites within his own body. And so it's not uncommon to hear those who are not in Christ, all they talk about is the fleshly drives, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of, of, of the natural man. The natural man cannot discern the things of the spirit because they're spiritually discerned, Paul said. So you live and you seek to pursue 
and fulfill and satisfy those drives of the flesh because the flesh controls you. It dominates your life. You know, animals, as wonderful as they are, they're not created in the image of God. They're, 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 they don't, they don't have, have what we have in that sense, a consciousness. My, my, they live like animals, and animals live for one purpose, to meet their body appetites. Listen, I get up in the morning early, and if I don't get up, this is a true story. If I don't get up at an early, it's not just because I'm an early riser, although I like to get up early, I have a dog. And my dog has a clock, not a literal clock, but it's in there because it goes off. If I'm not up, I'm not kidding you, by six o'clock, I can hear it downstairs. Ooh. It starts out small. It's like, I'm hungry. And then if I don't get, I'm like, honey, she's like, no. And then I, I, sometimes I think I'm dreaming, but it's real. I hear a dog in my dream, but it's my dog. You know, I'm kind of in between sleep. And if I don't get down first, first bark, it intensifies. It's like, okay, I got it. Okay, I got it. And, he has, and he's sitting there. He is sitting there with one desire, food. That is all that he wants. He lives with the body appetites. He's controlled by them, but he's so cute. But the point is this. We don't want to live on the animal plane on this lower level, but some people do. They only live to fulfill their body appetites. However, if you are born again, when you're born of the Spirit of God, that, that part of you that was dead suddenly comes alive and there is relationship once again with the Lord. You have this relationship with him and now you're thinking spiritually. You're thinking about your relationship with God, the, the work of God within your heart, how to please God, how to serve God. Your conversation is, is talking about spiritual things. A man or a woman whose spirit is alive and, and the spirit of God is within them realizes they're not related to the animal kingdom. They're created in the image of God. We're made to live for more. And, and so we're made in that image. We have this fellowship with God and we live a life after the Spirit. Listen, because you are in Christ, you're not condemned. The penalty's been paid. And because you're in Christ, the Spirit of God lives within you, and you no longer have to be controlled or dominated by the life of the flesh, because I am in, as it were, in Christ. But the question is, how is this possible? How, does this, how do I carry this out? What does this look like practically? Look at what it says in the very next verse. Verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Paul describes here two different laws. The first he mentions is the law of the spirit of life and then the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit provides freedom and it provides life. But the law of sin provides bondage and death. And Paul attributes this freedom that he is experiencing to a work of the Holy Spirit. Freedom in Christ means I have been set free to become all that God wants me to be, to achieve all that God wants me to achieve to enjoy all that God wants me to enjoy. When God saved me, he gave me a new life, not a new law. And in this life, I now seek to live according to his law. But, but how does the law of life overcome the law of death? These are two opposing laws. Let me explain, and I think this will help. There was a father and there was a son. They were walking together 
in the springtime when the display of early beauty is at its best. And the son asked the father a question. He said, Dad, what is gravitation? His father replied that gravitation is the law or the principle of nature by which everything is drawn down to the earth. If you take a rock and drop it, it's drawn to the earth. If you take an apple and drop it, it drops to the ground. It falls to the earth. That is the law of gravitation. But then the boy said to his father, but dad, look at those tulips over there. They're all growing upwards. They're not being drawn down. Why are they not affected by the law of gravitation? And this is how the father replied. He said, son, there is another law at work within them. It is the law of life, which is stronger than the law of gravitation, and it has freed them from it as long as they live. Folks, that is what Paul is describing here. There is the law of the flesh that is seeking to pull us down. But because I am in Christ, there is another law at work within me. It is the law of life, and it is stronger than the law of death. And I'm able to grow up in Christ because of that law within me. The Spirit of God working. It's a greater law than the law of sin and death. It's the law of life. The Holy Spirit, folks, is not an inanimate object, an impersonal phantom. He is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These three are one. We know that he's a person because he can be grieved, he can be quenched, he can be lied to, he can be blasphemed, he can be ignored. He's the one who draws us to Christ, he convicts us of sin, he leads us into all truth, he empowers us to serve. It's through the work of the Spirit of God that you are free to serve God, even though everything in this world is seeking to draw you down. If the Spirit of God is within you, then he's pushing you up. Do you understand? Does that make sense to you this morning? Amen to that? The work of the Spirit. All three of you over here. It's not by might. <laughs> Just kidding. It's all right. Okay, that's fine. Seriously, it's all right. Clapping for the Lord. It's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord. And apart from the power of God's Spirit working within us, we cannot do the things that we desire. But when the Spirit of God is working within us, we can do those things that we desire to do. And looking at these two laws, Paul does point out the limitations and the struggle that there was. Look at verse 3. He says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. And he condemned sin in the flesh. Although God's law, perfect, spiritual, holy Nothing wrong with God's law. It came from God. The problem is the law is limited in its ability. The law can point out sin. The law has the ability to condemn sin, but the law could never empower us to carry out what it requires. It's weak. The flesh is pulling me down. My flesh doesn't enable me to keep the perfect law of God. I cannot do it. I'm not able to. That's my predicament. And being in that place, it says here, God intervened. And how did he intervene? It says he sent his own son. 
in the likeness of sinful flesh. The word became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, John tells us in John chapter 1, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus became what we are so that one day we could become what he is. And so here he is coming to this earth like us, God with skin on. And yet he emptied himself of his divine privileges. He, knows, he knew what it was to be tempted. He knew what it was to be tired. He, he experienced everything that we experienced, and yet he was without sin. He is the only one who ever lived, existed, and fulfilled the law perfectly. Thus, he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And the perfect spotless lamb of God went to the cross, died in our place, fulfilling all the requirements of the law on our behalf. And now because we are in him, the law has been fulfilled. God did for us what we could not do because of the weakness of our flesh. But Jesus did it. He did it for us. He paid it all, all to him I owe. The law demanded death. The law demanded sin, a sacrifice to be made. And Jesus came in the likeness of man. He fulfilled the law, took our place paid the price. That's why there is no condemnation. That's why there's another law working within us because of what Jesus did upon the cross. And the moment, the moment that a person by faith responds to the finished work of Christ, they enter into that glorious freedom. Why you wouldn't want that, I have no idea other than the deceptiveness of sin and the pride within our own heart. But no longer are we going to have to cry out, oh, wretched man that I am, but we can say, oh, blessed man that I am, whom the Lord has forgiven. He doesn't impute iniquity to me any longer. I'm free in Christ. Paul put it this way in Colossians chapter 2. This is a good passage. He said this, and you being dead in your trespasses and sins, according to the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven, and I like this word, all of your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, having taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, making a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He did it. He did what I could not do when he went to the cross. Let me ask you something. Are you experiencing that freedom that Jesus has provided for you, this new law of the Spirit of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, condemnation lifted, the power to live a life after the Spirit, that is what God desires for us. And he's made it possible. Verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And why is it important to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh any longer? He tells us some of the consequences of the flesh. He says, for those, verse 5, who live according to the flesh, well, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. Oh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, which life do you want to live? The Bible encourages us to protect the mind. So much happens right up here in the mind. And what we feed the mind can so often determine the actions, the direction that we go. And the mind is a terrible thing to waste. The Bible says to gird up the loins of your mind. The Bible says to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. To walk in the spirit is to overcome the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
the flesh, setting your mind. The Bible says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. The Bible also tells us in Philippians, remember, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the mind of Christ, the mindset of the Spirit. Paul tells us in verse 6, to be carnally minded, what, what does that produce? Let's say I live a life after the flesh, think the flesh, what does it, he tells us, it brings death. On the other hand, to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, why, why, why does it bring death? Because the carnal mind is at war with God. It's at enmity with God. That's what it means. It's not subject to the law of God. It's at war with God. And it can't be anything else. That's why we don't want to have the carnal mind. We want to have the mind of the spirit. And then it says, verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can't please God if you live according to the flesh and live a life after the flesh. This verse right here, by the way, is a really good one. It's in the Bible to, to remember. And I'll tell you why it's a great one to remember. Because although we are, if you're a Christian and you're in Christ, the Spirit of God is within you. But you also, we also have to battle the flesh. I wish I could say that I just 100% of the time just walk in the Spirit, never get in the flesh, never have you know, these stickers that say no bad days. I'm like, I don't even know what that is because that's not true. You know, I just want to go rip it off and say, now it's a bad day, isn't it? No, I don't want to really do that. I've just thought it. See, that's the mind of the flesh, what I'm telling you. This is the struggle. But, but there's this battle going on between the flesh and the spirit. But I, you know something I realize? And the Lord reminds me of this passage right here. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. Let me speak for a moment. Husbands, wives, when you have those moments of, well, intense fellowship, I guess you could call it, <laughs> where the sound kind of goes up and like, I'm not raising my voice. Yes, you are. And, and the neighborhood knows it. And you, these are, these are, there's the flesh. Listen, you might win the argument, but you're not pleasing God because you're in the flesh. Oh, that's the flesh. I can tell. Oh, or... Let me appeal to you commuters who drive. There's going to be moments when you're going to have to fight the flesh. When somebody with a Calvary Chapel sticker is going to cut right in front of you. and then, No, probably not. Maybe. But what you have to do is fight the flesh. You might be able to say a few things to them, make some faces when you pull up at the light. And by the way, when people do that to me, I just look, look straight. Like, I just don't even know. I'm just, I just look it straight. Because I knew I, I shouldn't have cut him off, but I don't want him to see me. It's the flesh. But I realized something. When I'm in the flesh, I can't please God. But here's the dangerous thing about the flesh that I think sometimes we fail to remember. And that is this. The flesh can produce something, but it doesn't please God. Let me give you some examples. Cain and Abel. You remember those two boys? Brothers? in the book of Genesis, God revealed to both of them that they were to bring a sacrifice to him. And yet it appears from the text that it was to be a blood sacrifice. Cain didn't want to present a blood sacrifice. He decided to take the harvest that he had planted and he had grown and he brought that and presented that to the Lord. 
That's not what God asked for. It was a type of the flesh. In fact, later on in the New Testament, it's referred to as the way of Cain. The way of Cain is doing it my way, the flesh. Whereas Abel offered this blood sacrifice and God accepted and honored his sacrifice. There was the flesh and there was the spirit. The flesh produced something. Look what I made. God said, I don't, I don't honor that. That's the flesh. Another example, Abraham and Sarah, lovely couple, really wanted to have a child. And God even promised them that they would have a child. But they kept getting older and older and older. And all they had was a promise and no pregnancy. So they decided, maybe we should do something about this in the flesh. And so Abraham had a relationship with Hagar, his maidservant. They picked her up while they were in Egypt. And... She was able to have a child named Ishmael, a type, a picture of the flesh, caused nothing but problems in their life. And and yet later on, when Abraham's 100, then finally they have Isaac. God said, I don't recognize the flesh, but I recognize the spirit. And I realized this is the danger. The flesh can produce something, but the flesh doesn't please God. A life of the flesh or a life of the spirit. What kind of life do we desire to live? I love what Charles Spurgeon said concerning the flesh and the battle, really, that we have. Even though we're we're walking in the Spirit, we love the Lord, listen to what he said. He said, observe carefully that the flesh is there. He doesn't walk after it, but it's there. It is there striving and warring and vexing and grieving, and it'll be there still until he's taken up into heaven. It's there as an alien, a detested force, and and not there so as to have dominion over him. He doesn't walk after it, nor practically obey it. He doesn't accept it as his guide, nor allow it to drive him into rebellion, but it is there. It's there. It is a fight to the death every single day. It is constantly seeking to pull me down back into the old garbage of the old life, and yet there is another law working within me, the law of life that overcomes this law of sin and death, the Spirit of God. In verse 8, so then, those who are in the flesh, they can't please God, but you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, well, he's not his. That's important to consider. And then in verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body, it's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. This body, this temporary dwelling place called a tent is dying. It's dying. It is decaying. One day, the Bible makes it clear, we are to set aside this tent, pack it up, And we'll enter into a glorious body, a new body built for heaven, likened to a mansion, completely different than what we're housed in at the present time. Right now, this outward man, Paul said, is perishing. But he also said that the inward man is being renewed day by day, even though eventually this tent will be, unless the rapture happens first, and I'm holding out for it. But if this, if it doesn't happen first, this body will eventually be pulled down and it'll be buried. But even then will rise again, the Bible says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You understand? This body's dying, but I'm not dying on the inside. I'm alive and well. And even though this thing decays and falls apart, I know exactly where I'm going. 
who I really am, will be eternally with the Lord. Now, verse 11 is where we'll conclude. Listen, folks, you might be saying, man, this, is, this sounds great. Man, I don't want to live after the flesh. I want to live after the spirit. But, but I don't know if I can do it. I'm not sure if I can. And that's the problem right there. It's not I, it's, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. But listen to this passage. If you, if you don't have a favorite verse, maybe check this one out because this is so powerful. Look at what it says. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Folks, listen. This is powerful. This is life-changing. Seriously. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all participated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We know that the Father was involved. Acts chapter 2, verse 24 tells us very clearly, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 14, the Father's involvement. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, knowing that he, that is God the Father, Raise the Lord Jesus, will raise us up also with Jesus, and will present us with you. The Father was involved in the resurrection of Jesus, but Jesus was also involved in his resurrection. Remember, Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down, and if I lay it down, I will raise it back up again. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus was involved in the resurrection and the Holy Spirit was involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to the New Living Translation of Romans chapter 1, verse 4. This is what it says. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, was shown to be the Son of God when God powerfully raised him up from the dead by the means of the Holy Spirit. So the Father's involved, the Son's involved, but the Holy Spirit is involved in the resurrecting Jesus from the dead. You say, why are you sharing all that with us? Because it says that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in us. I, let me, this side for a second. The same Holy Spirit the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me? That's what the Bible says. Is that power enough to overcome the flesh? That's amazing. I tell you, when I really grabbed hold of that verse, I thought, it's the Spirit of God doing it in and through me. It's not me working harder, sweating more. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to live the life of Christ through me. This treasure in an earthen vessel, the Spirit of God dwells within us. Paul said, you are the temple of the living God. This is where he dwells. I don't understand how it all works. I just know the Bible teaches it, and I'm grateful for it. Guys, what this tells me is that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will give me life, even, even to this mortal body. This, this mortal body that's dying, the Spirit of God is going to give me life. And it's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
That's the Spirit of God we're talking about, folks. I don't think we realize what kind of power we have access to. I, you, know, you hear people say, I can't do it, I can't do it. Stop trying to do it and let the Spirit of God do it. Yield to the Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Don't pursue the flesh. You don't, you don't say, I can't do it, so I'm just going to live after the flesh. Well, yeah, that's self-defeating. You're, you're, I mean, you're, you're like just digging down while you're being pulled in. I mean, you're just you're creating the pit and falling into it. We need to resist the flesh. We don't make provision for the flesh, but we resist it and we don't make provision through it through the power of the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That, what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm trying to emphasize here is that is power enough to live the Christian life. I'm so thankful that I don't have to do this on my own. What I could not do, God did. He did it. It's done. It's finished. And when it says that he gives us life, do you know what it means? It means to revitalize. It means to quicken. I love this word, to vivify. How about that? I don't even know what that means, but I like it. How you doing? I'm vivified. <laughs> Quite vivified, actually. Really, how so? The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. That's how. I mean, that's really, that's what happens. The Bible tells us in John chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes, and he has given, not only given his life for us, but gives his life to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm not gonna leave you orphans. I'm gonna leave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is I mean, as real as, as anything. We can't see him, but we know that he's there. He's with us. He's in us. So I pray you're encouraged by that as we seek to live a life of the Spirit as opposed to the, the life of the flesh. What makes that possible is we're in Christ. And I can't think of anything more wonderful today. Such good timing to be the first Sunday of the month and, and to partake of communion because like we read in verse three of Romans chapter eight, what the law couldn't do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did for us by sending his son. That this this is a reminder today. When we partake of the elements, we're reminding ourselves there's no condemnation in Christ. We're reminding ourselves that we don't have to live a life of the flesh any longer. We're reminding ourselves that the same spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is alive and well in us. Will you pray with me?